Good morning, Mount Helena Community Church. How are we this morning? That extra sleep, I expect you to be more wide awake and lively today, huh? I'm wondering when we're going to be done with the daylight savings thing. I'm not sure it matters anymore, but we'll have to see. Why torture us every spring like that, you know? That's not really fair. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we, Lord, we bring our, our very lives before you. Lord, all of who we are. Lord, from uh, our heart, our, our emotions, our mind, our will, our physical bodies, all of us, Lord, we present ourselves to you today saying, Lord, work with us. Lord, touch us, lead us, bring healing, bring correction, bring direction, bring vision today, Lord. You're about a great work on the earth that we're a part of. And God, we just bring ourselves before you this morning saying, lead us, work in us, Lord. Lord, we open our hearts. Lord, if you need to do surgery on me today, do it. Lord, help me grow, help me change, help me be more like you, help me draw closer to you, help me to understand and continue living for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to get a head start on me, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. Thank you, Joel. Verse 18. We're going to be there in a few minutes. Um, and it will be the scripture I, I build around today. Last week, Corey Swanson delivered a fantastic message. I really appreciated what Corey had to say about getting ready and really drawing attention to the idea that seasons change and God has called us to be a people of action that we are to be bringing this message of hope to a, to a world that has no hope. You know, the, the, I was listening to a pastor I respect, and now forget his name. Jeff, what was the podcast the guy you sent me uh, from Texas, the pastor down there? Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler. Thank you very much. Listen to Matt Chandler talking. And he was saying, you know, the, the world's economy, especially in today's day and age, with the way that social media works and things like that, and the news media works, is that our economy, our way of life, runs fueled off of fear and anxiety and anger. And when the world begins to use those carnal weapons in order to try and fight the fight, it doesn't work. The world is not looking for another form of fear and anger and hate and anxiety. It's looking for a hopeful alternative. You and I carry that light and that message to the world. A message of life-giving. A message of grace. A message of forgiveness. A message of something hopeful to look forward to. Because when you look at humanity itself... Boy, there's, there's just not a lot of hope. It's not where our trust is. It's not where our hope is. It isn't that man's going to fix himself. It's that we have a gospel, a good news to bring to the world. And Corey's saying, get ready. We've, we've gone through this season. We, we need to, we need to uh, no longer have excuses. COVID is no longer an excuse. Political situations are not an excuse. They're not an excuse of our mission. We are a people on a mission. Did you know that? And that's what I want to start to talk about today. The second part of our vision statement here at Mount Mount Helena Community Church, our mission statement, is living the mission. The first one is building community. We always want to be building community, and we could talk about that a lot. But the second thing we say is living the mission. And that is pertinent to every single one of our lives. We have a mission to live personally, and we have a mission to live corporately. And I want to start to explore some thoughts surrounding that in the weeks ahead. Next week, we're going to have John Meek here. Jason mentioned that. John is one of those people who has lived the mission. 
He's planted church. He's taken over church. He's, he's taken on our, our Caleb Schwabauer as an intern over there to work with him. John is living the mission. I'm looking forward to hearing from him next week. We haven't had a lot of guests in the last couple of years. We lose kind of touch with that global church that we're a part of because there wasn't a lot of travel going on. But we're going to be able to see that stuff continue in the days ahead. I'm excited about that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 I don't remember if Corey referenced this last week or not, but I want to begin with this anchor in our message today where Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. Remember, Jesus had changed his name from Simon to Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the first half of that passage is often a controversial doctrinal statement when it comes uh, particularly between Catholics and Protestants. They debate the meaning of, is Peter the rock, or was it, was it Peter's confession right before this? That's what he's talking about. It, no matter what, however we want to look at that, Peter was very important foundational person in the establishment of the church. We see that in Acts chapter 2 when he delivers the first gospel message and the, and the church is born and explodes in Jerusalem. So Peter's an important character. That's not what I want to focus on today. I want to focus on the second half of that statement. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One thing we, we have to talk about on a regular basis about what the church is. First of all, the church is not a building. Can you say amen? Yeah. Aren't we glad? The church is, is literally a congregation. It's a gathering of people. It's God's people. The church is the people, not the building. Okay, it's not the institution. Now, you know, we say we go to church and we are going to the gathering of the saints, the gathering of the believers. We have to really understand that because even though we may not uh, just um, adopt the idea that church is a building, the thinking still begins to infiltrate who we are in our language and subtly starts to work into our thinking and we begin to misunderstand. We start to think that I just have to go to this place to be holy. If I want to be right with God, i got to show up at this facility every week. But it's so much more than that. It's so, so much deeper than that. It's the people. Jesus said, I will gather these people together and I will build them in such a way that the gates of hell, or your translation may say Hades, or some may say death, does not prevail. Now let's focus in on the first thing. I will. I will. How many of you know that Jesus is good for his word? If Jesus sets his mind to do something, does he fail? No. And a deep sense of security and hope sets into your heart when the Lord of the universe says, I will do something. And we can rest assured that it will happen. That the king of kings has said, I will do something. It's in my will to do it. And I'm going to make it happen. He will build his church. I think it's so important for us to recognize, first of all, that he is the architect behind the scenes. One of the things I find so disheartening and discouraging and frustrating in the world is so much of the church criticizes itself throws rocks and and judges and bashes and rips on whoever is in their family that they don't agree with. This divisive sort of attitude that goes on in the church where where we go, they're they're wrong, they're doing it wrong. You know, if it's the church down the street or a a different denomination or a different group, there's this mentality that creeps in on us that 
we're building it wrong. The, the church worldwide is just massively off track and they're doing it wrong. First of all, whoever put, put anyone in a position to decide that? Nobody. Jesus is building his church. Can we rest in confidence in that? Yes. And we can be secure. And even if we fumble the ball along the way, or we might be off on this thing or that thing, or going about something maybe in the wrong way, we still know that the Lord's will will be accomplished, that he will build his people. So we can be confident in that. There's an intentionality. Jesus didn't start building the church, get sick of it, and walk away. Here we are 2,000 years later, and his intentionality, his intention, his purpose is still there and happening in the world. I didn't know I was going to get so fired up about this. Yeah. It's very important. It's so important that we get a grip on this. Here's the other thing. There is purpose. There's something in mind. What does he say about this thing that he's going to build? This gathering of people that are going to come together and be his family. The people that have accepted his message of faith. He says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't know about you, but that sounds like power. That sounds like purposeful. It sounds like a mission. It sounds like there, there's, there's something to be done and happening in the body of Christ. So amazing. We have to, this is really what I want to drill into today, and I hope, I hope you, you are encouraged and motivated and provoked. Actually, some of the stuff I may get into today, you might even feel a little guilty. Where it's like, wait, maybe I'm not doing enough. Do I need to take more action? I don't mind making you a little uncomfortable if it prompts you to some positive action. Is that okay with you today? Yes, sir. So if I get under your skin a little bit today, can we still be friends when it's over? Yeah. Okay. Because here's the thing. A community without a mission is just a social club. A community that doesn't have a mission is just a social club. Church is not a social club. But that social club thinking permeates the way we behave, the way we communicate, and the way we relate. And sometimes we need to stop and remind ourselves of some of the fundamental truths of the gospel in order to help carry us into the next phase that God is calling us into. The gates. What are gates? Well, you've got a gate. You've got a cattle gate. You've got a gate to your yard. You've got a door to your house. It's an entry. It's an entry, but it's more than that, especially in a, in a biblical understanding. The gates is where the authority met to make decisions for a city and judgments to be made. So when we look at this word gates, the gates of hell, we can think of it as the entrance or the way in, but we could also think of it as the position of authority in a particular community. So we know that both the authority and the, the journey to hell. Now let's talk about the word hell. Now when we think of hell, you immediately think, you know, fire and devil pitchfork, like a far side cartoon or something like that. Well, this word hell really is, it's more, the idea there is, is more of a negative, invisible realm. It's the, it's the place of the dead. In fact, to the Jews, in the Jewish mindset at the time, uh, it was Sheol, often. It's where all the dead went. So this word is better understood, I think, initially in the original language to be the place of the dead, where the dead go, all of us. And, and so you, you could read it that the gates of death shall not prevail. Well, we know, first of all, that Jesus, death did not prevail against Jesus, correct? How many of you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Death had no grip on him. Right? And, he, and he rose from the dead. And so we can see a foreshadowing here of that, that, that this, the place of the dead where the dead go 
will not prevail against the church either. He was the firstborn. He was the first to rise from the dead. And now you and I all have hope that we will also rise from the dead. Now, this is interesting. The scripture teaches that everyone will rise at the end of time and face judgment. And then those that are condemned, the book of Revelation calls it the second death. So some will experience that second death and some will not. Okay, so the, you could also then, I think, reasonably know that what the scripture is referring to is not just this initial death that we incur, but actually eternal judgment and that, that other idea of what hell is. Okay, this place of eternal judgment from God. So either way, it's true. And what's really important and what we need to focus on is that it does not prevail against the church. There is no prevailing. Now, there's no word against in the Greek. It just says, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail it. Okay, I hope that this encourages you. First of all, it draws attention to the idea that there's a conflict taking place. There's two opposing forces in this dynamic. There's the force of death and hell, and there's the force of the church that Jesus is building. And they are in opposition to each other. They're they're in a war, so to speak. And we're going to look at some other passages here briefly about that. But there's a, there's a conflict. And we know this. We don't like death. We don't like the ideal of death. We wonder what happens to us after death. We're always just, it's just unnatural to us because it wasn't part of our original created nature. But because of sin, which we're also going to talk about, we now die. We should, we should hate sin. We should oppose sin. We do war against sin in our own bodies. We war against sin trying to become a part of our lives something we don't like to talk about sometimes, but it's a reality we have to remind ourselves of because ultimately we are on a mission. There's a conflict taking place in the world around us, which Jesus has called us to play a part in. Every one of us in that conflict against death. We have a world around us that has a hopeless facing of death. And no idea what's going to happen after that. Or no faith for what's going to happen after that. But you and I are the light of the world. We're a city on the hill. Not because we're awesome, but because God is awesome. And he's building us up in this conflict. We are the church. When, we say, when, when you hear those words and you say them, we are the church, and I'll be like, we are the church, man. We are what Jesus is doing on the earth. We are Jesus' plan A for the earth. We are his ambassadors to a world that is facing hopelessness in all sorts of ways and latching on to false hopes in all kinds of ways. And yet we have something hopeful and life-giving to bring. We have a mission that is very, very important. And it does not prevail. What does this tell you? Who wins? Who wins in this conflict? Jesus and the church wins. How many, of you, how many of you would like to know all the outcomes of the football games today and put some money on it ahead of time because you know who wins, right? That'd be handy. We know who wins. Now, that doesn't make it that comfortable in a day-to-day way, does it? We all struggle at times. I want to go to what, something that Peter had to say. Jesus said this to Peter, and Peter has just been talking. I mean, if I could just summarize the, the scriptures before 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. In the previous passages, he's just really drawing attention to what a glorious thing Jesus has done for you. And then he says this. Therefore, 
Prepare your minds for action. You are instructed by the scripture to prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's what we know as the church. Someday Jesus returns for his people. He will come for us. We are not orphaned. We're not abandoned. This orchestration and architecture that he's been putting together all these years, he is returning in person for. So we set our hope that there will be a full salvation and redemption at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that his grace will be able to see in the most magnificent and and powerful way as it can be seen. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Now, Corey was saying, get ready. Get ready. There there is a sense where we're where there needs to be a preparation, a constant preparation in all of us. You know, the scripture teaches us, be ready in season and in out, uh, and out of season, be ready in season and out of season to give an answer or a reason for the hope that you have. And so when, when we're going through our everyday lives, do, does anybody see hope in us? Does anybody see anything worth even talking about? Is the church really representing Christ's heart in the world around it. Every once in a while we need to evaluate and go, is my, are my words, are my actions, my deeds, my behavior, my communication, is it really reflecting the heart of Jesus for the world? Because the idea of scripture is that we would have a reason for hope and that the world would be asking about that hope. Very important in how we then posture ourselves in this life. Because this life ends, and these things pass away. And there's a reckoning that takes place at the end of time. It's important for us to keep that bigger picture in mind as we navigate life. Anyway, back to Peter. Preparing your minds for action. I guess really what I I want to draw attention to the idea of the word prepare. There's got to be an intentionality on your part as a person. I just just want to make you a little uncomfortable, okay? It's not about everybody else right now. We're talk- Peter's talking to you right in your seat. He's talking to Tyler. He's talking to Jeremy. He's talking to Gracie. He's talking to Colleen. He's saying, prepare your mind for action. You do it. Prepare. Take intentional steps with yourself to make yourself ready for whatever it is God is doing, whatever action he's calling you to. No, and the opposite of that, being still and doing nothing. You are called to action and being sober-minded. That word, uh, you know, preparing your minds for action, he, uh, another way to translate that, or if you took the Greek and translated it literally, it says, it says, girding up the loins of your mind. <laughs> girding up the loins of your mind. Like reinforcing, making strong, positioning yourself well. And then it says being sober-minded. What is this sober-minded thing? I think this, uh, we could really use a dose of this uh, idea from 1 Peter in today's world. The HELPS Dictionary talks about it. You know, it obviously means sober in the sense of not being intoxicated or drunk. But really, the idea is that we are free from illusions or free from intoxicating influences. You know, we get so absorbed in something and caught up in it that we're paying no attention to what's going on. 
because we're delusioned with the world around us, peace, presence of mind, clear judgment, enabling temperance, keeping your wits, avoiding being irrational. How much irrational communication and behavior do we see in the world around us right now? Um, I don't even have to talk about it. There's so much. And the church is no exception. Irrational behavior, communication, thinking, all these kind of things. It's time for us to stop and go, okay, we're on a mission. God has called us to something. He's building his church. He's doing a work. Let's evaluate and let's prepare our minds for action. Let's get ready. Let's keep moving. Let's keep on the business of the church, which is a spiritual adventure for the lives of others. To reach others with a hope and a life-giving news. James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only. So deceiving yourselves. Ouch. I mean, I think of some of these guys that wrote the scripture. These guys are, you know, like Peter and Paul. They're, they're guys that brought the word of God. They'd be thrown out of most pulpits today because they'd be too harsh, too strong in their words. Americans wouldn't put up with it. They'd throw them out because they'd make you uncomfortable. But he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Do something. Do it. Don't just hear it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, thus deceiving yourselves. See, we have to recognize, you know, if we're going to continue on with the mission and we're going to live it and we want to stop and we want to, we want to take inventory and we want to reflect and look at ourselves and, and, and beginning with us as individuals, you in your seat, reflecting and going, God has called me to a life of action. He's called me to a mission, a gospel message. How, where am I at in that? And again, you could take that as guilt and if it makes you a little uncomfortable, I'm okay with that. If you understand the grace of God, he's right there ready to grab your hand and lead you on that journey. Okay, so sitting around beating yourself up over anything that you feel guilty about is a waste of time. Go right to the Lord with it. Get forgiveness. Lay hold of that grace and mercy and then get on with the mission. But we have to recognize that the worldly culture around us impacts the way we think. Okay, this is true universally and through all time. Okay, we see it in the New Testament passages. Paul is writing to people like the Corinthians or, or the, you know, the Romans. He's, he's writing to the church in Rome, the church in Philippi, the church in Corinth, the church in Ephesus. And in all these individual cultures where the church is finding itself, it's being inundated and influenced by the worldly culture around it. And they begin to incorporate practices from the world around them into what they're doing, and it can become corruptive. We see this in the history of Israel. Israel goes into the promised land. They, they, Joshua leads them across the Jordan. They take over all this land of Israel, but they don't quite get rid of all the other false gods in the area. And over time, this dogs their heels for the rest of their existence in the Old Testament. They're constantly incorporating the idolatry of the cultures around them into their own religion. And God is constantly on their case about it. He will wipe the nation of Israel almost completely out in order to get his point across. You hear what I'm saying? God is not afraid 
to give you a whooping every once in a while, to make things difficult, to challenge. He will lay us low in order to get what he wants. And we are wise to submit to his doing and trust him with those processes. Because we can see very clearly, if we learn anything from the word, and we learn lots of things, one of the things we know is that wherever the people found themselves, they were under heavy influence from the culture around them, and they don't see it. It's like the frog boiling in the water thing. You just slowly keep turning up the temperature, and the poor little frog never realizes the water's boiling. Pretty soon he's dead, right? In case you felt like cooking a frog this afternoon for lunch. But we're like that. We're soaking in a water of worldly thinking and worldly influence, and eventually we don't realize that it's become a part of our lives. Let me give you another modern-day example. Like, if you go into another culture right now, and you try and interact... I mean, I, I was in, I've been in Dubai a couple times, an Arabic culture, and it's as modern as modern gets, but the culture is very different from the United States. And it's hard for a person like me to navigate. I got yelled at in Arabic by a bunch of ladies in uh, burqas and stuff like that because I was standing in the wrong place in the subway. I didn't know. I didn't understand the culture. I didn't know how it operated, and, and they were not happy with me. I'm like, sorry. I went to where I needed to go. In South Africa, we talk about this. Now, do not just dismiss what I'm about to say to you as like, oh, that's silly. Okay, I want you to think about it. In South Africa, in the Christian church, one of the things they have a problem with is both Christian worship and ancestor worship. Okay, and I'm not talking about fringe church things. I'm talking even in the regions beyond churches in South Africa, it's an issue. Because people are so inundated in a culture that is used to sacrificing their cattle to their ancestors that when they become Christians, they blend the two. They don't leave it completely behind. Now, as Americans, you're like, that's just, I can't even get my head around that. Like, none of us can remember the last time we sacrificed a cow to an ancestor. But for them, it's everyday life. And it, and it becomes in, and God wants to get that stuff out of the church and we constantly need to be on our guard against those things. Obviously, that's not what I'm going to talk about in American church. I'm going to talk about what is influencing our thinking in America. First thing is this, self. Self is God in so much of America. Self is God, me. What I want, when I want it, my rights, my way, now. Very, very, very selfish culture we live in. And I hope you can see that. I hope you can see it in the communication. I hope you can see it in the way of life. And I'm not, I'm not again, you could feel guilty. But hey, it's, what, it's where we live. It's what we're doing. We're as wealthy as wealthy as wealthy ever got ever. And we're still not satisfied. And nobody tells me what to do, even God. There is no authority but me, self. These thinkings, which are totally anti-biblical, work into our thinking. And we have to be very, very sure that we're taking a proper inventory of ourselves and going, is something ungodly working its way into my thinking and my way of life? Because it's robbing people from participating in the mission. But it leads us to something. I want to talk about church specifically. It's this idea of, we talk about it in our um, vision and values class and things like that as a church. It's the idea that we want to grow up from being a consumer 
to becoming a contributor in the body of Christ. Okay? So we live in a capitalist economy where we compete for customers. We have whoever advertises the best, whoever does the best, is tend to have the one that's going to have the most clientele. And that has influenced the way the church operates, for better or for worse. I don't know. Probably a little of both. But here's what happens. If you're the customer and you don't like my message today, you get to leave. You can leave the church next week. You can go listen to Craig Goshell this afternoon. You can go listen to Andy Stanley. You can go listen to Rick Warren. They're all better preachers than I am. You, you're gonna go, you can go find better worship someplace else, someplace else, I'm sure. No offense, worship team, you did a great job today. But you're always going to find something that suits you better because it's all about you, what you want, where you're going to be comfortable and when you get tired of it, you just move on to the next one. I got tired shopping at Walmart. I loved it when I was young because it was cheap and they had everything. Now I go in there and I have to detox for a couple days when I leave. <laughs> go to some other place. I'm tired of it. Or I, I went to this music store and I got tired because the guy ticked me off one day. I don't go to this restaurant because they didn't serve me fast enough. It's about me. about what I want right now. And if I don't like what you're offering, I'm going to go to someplace else. And no matter how much we, we wrestle against that, that is very prevalent in the church. And we're all, uh, look, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. I should have Ryan's mirror up here, okay? This is all of us. The consumer mentality has permeated the mindset of Christians in America. And it's become a fabric of how they operate in the church. But Jesus didn't call, he didn't create the church so you can... Go to different ones until you get sick and tired of them and go to the next one. He meant to build a family that the gates of hell do not prevail against. Yes. That's not what a shopping mindset about the church produces. We are a people of action on a mission. Every one of us in our own way. Here's another thing. We have a do it, you do it for me mentality now. More and more and more. I owned a franchise in heating and air conditioning for a while. They tried to make me successful. I, it didn't work. So I went to lots of different training. And one of the things they teach you about, first of all, that women are making 80% of the buying decisions in the home. And if you're in there being a heating and air conditioning guy, you need to be able to uh, communicate well with that woman who's, who's making the buying decision in the home. And she is not a do-it-yourself. She wants you to do it for her. Okay, that's fine. We have a society like that. Do it for me. But we're kind of like that in our Christianity. We see this way back in the history of Israel. God has come to meet with his people. And the people are so terrified of God, they say to Moses, Moses, do it for me. Moses, you go be the man of God. We're scared of God. Well, we know that gets reconciled with Christ. We are all individually to go to God. But we still do that in the church. Pastor, you do it for me. You feed me. You make me mature. You make me comfortable. You make me happy. You provide the programs for me. You provide the good coffee. You do it. But that is not really a healthy biblical understanding of what the church is according to the Bible, according to the word of God that he gave us. He, gave, he called us to be a people ready for action and moving in a direction of taking over the gates of hell, transform, bringing transformational hope and power into the lives of the people around us, not just a preacher on Sunday. See, is the church, is it a cruise ship or is it a battleship? 
right? Have you heard that analogy before? Come on, American culture has pushed the church to treat itself like a cruise ship. You do it for me. Now that sounds really harsh and critical, but I really think that a lot of the difficulty that we're facing today is God doing with us just like he did with Israel. I don't like some things, I'm gonna bring some pressure. And we're gonna make some adjustments. And it's wise and healthy for us to reflect and, and ask ourselves, I know that American culture is very selfish, very materialistic, very consumer driven. I don't feel like I'm being mean saying that. I just think that's real. So then I have to stop and go, is that thinking affecting how I see my fellow believers, how I see the church, and how I see God? Okay, let's, all right, God, you, you brought your attention to some things. Let's, let's clean those things up. Let's wipe them out. Let's, let's become who we need to be. I think I'll wrap up with this. Here, here's my point of all this. We're, I want to be talking about living the mission and, and, you know, Corey talking about getting ready and things like that. Listen, seasons come and go. The church's mission has been going on for 2,000 years. It will be here long after COVID is gone. It'll be long after whatever current political situation is will be gone. Nations have risen and fallen. Some rise to power for many, many years. Others are quick flash in the pan. The mission of the church has transcended and permeated and superseded all of them, all throughout history. And so it's important for us, as we, be, as we begin to talk about what it means to live the mission, is to be taking some time to reflect on ourselves and go, is my mindset, is my understanding of the church, is my communication and my behavior coming into alignment with the truth of who God is? Um, around here in the office, we sometimes read Oswald Chambers' uh, My Utmost for His Highest. It was published in the 1930s, and we've got some updated versions so we don't have to read in Old English. On the November 4th uh, devotional, he talks about this. And, and again, I, I'm not sure I've made myself clear. I want to make sure that I am. That this, this begins with you and I as individuals taking the time to reflect on what the truth is about God and about the church and about the scripture and whether or not our communication and our behavior and the way we're representing Christ on the earth is accurate. And so when the word of God comes, it's truth and it should adjust us should adjust us. We want to be doers of the word, not hearers only. A lot of people are sitting in church today, going to listen and then go home and not do anything about it all over the world. But the scripture challenges us to take those things we hear and do something about them because the truth brings us into alignment with God. As long as we're chasing something else, uh, we're out of alignment with what he's doing. Anyway, I want to read this, what he says. It is essential that if you give people the opportunity to act that you give people the opportunity to act on the truth of God. The responsibility must be left with the individual. You cannot act for him. I can't live the mission for you. I can't make you adjust. You have to do it. When the word of God comes to you, you have to make the adjustment. It must be his own deliberate act. But the evangelical message should always lead him to action. The truth of the word of God should always lead us to action. Refusing to act leaves a person paralyzed exactly where he was previously. But once he acts, he is never the same. In other words, if you take some of this truth and you actually apply it in your life and begin to make a conscientious effort, you will never be the same. When you read the word of God and begin to apply it in your lives, you will begin to transform.
You'll never be the same, but you have to take action. You have to take action. You can't be hearers only. Be doers. I'll skip down to this. When a truth of God is brought home to your soul, never allow it to pass without acting on it internally in your will. Whenever the truth of God comes, it enters your soul, you hear it, never miss the chance to act on it, to make an adjustment, to do what you need to do to bring yourself more into alignment with the mission and the purposes of God. Would you stand, please? Are we still friends? Yes. Okay. Maybe I was a little harsh in some of those things that I said. And even if I'm not completely accurate about them, we are at a position as a church, not just Mount Helena Community Church, definitely Mount Helena Community Church, but churches all over the world are in a position right now. We need to take inventory. We need to remember what our mission is. And we need to keep moving forward with it. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word encourages us. Lord, it comforts us. It challenges us sometimes. It's hard for us to hear sometimes. But God, you have called us to action. God, we don't want to miss out on the adventure. God, we don't want to be a people who just sits by idly while you go about the world doing awesome things by transforming people's lives. We want to be a part of that. In the community of Helena, Montana and the surrounding area, Lord, we want to be a lighthouse of life for people. A group of people that have a hope, not an opinion. Lord, people that, that have a hope that is real, that is founded in truth, that causes us to be a people of action and to see the world transformed. And someday we will stand before you and give account of our lives. God, find us faithful and productive people. A church that death cannot prevail against. Lead us in that adventure, Lord. Challenge us, Lord. We thank you that as you're our father and we are the children, you discipline us. A loving father will discipline his children. And we're glad for that. Pray that you help us in this journey. Help us to understand and see clearly. And not to be delusioned with something else. In Jesus' name, amen.